Mark chapter 15 from verse 42 onwards. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. This is the word of God. Thank you that by your Holy Spirit you walk alongside us. You know where each of us is in our lives at this point in our journey with you. And thank you that your word is living and active and you're able to speak to us uh, this Easter. Please, would you freshen our hearts with the hope of the risen Christ as we dive into this account together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were to do an internet search of the top questions that people ask about Easter on Google, I wonder what you'd expect to find. One of the top questions, apparently, that people ask is, how many Easter eggs are sold in the UK every year? And who wants to venture a guess to the answer to this question? How many Easter eggs are sold in the UK every year? Anyone want to venture a guess? Alexi? 10 million? 5 million? Kath? Kath says 15. Julie says 54. The answer is 80 million uh, Easter eggs. Jonathan, you knew it, didn't you? You were going to say 80 million, weren't you? Another top question, which country started the tradition of the Easter bunny? Now, of course, the egg was an ancient symbol of new life. And uh, with Christians adopting the symbol of the egg as a, a, a symbol of kind of resurrection, new life, soon Christians started uh, bringing in a tradition of an Easter bunny. Now, which country first originated the idea of the Easter bunny? Anyone? The U.S.? No, but thanks, Tommy. Good guess. A good guess, yeah. It was actually Germany. 
who originated the idea of the Easter Bunny. Around the 1700s, they started setting out nests with carrots in it for the Easter Bunny, which, which apparently was said to have come. Um, now, of course, the first Easter eggs, here's another question, were dyed which color initially? The f- decorating uh, uh, Easter eggs came around in the 13th century. Which color were they most prominently to begin with? Dyed? Sorry? Black? No, good guess. Any, other, any others want to guess? Purple? Yellow? Green? Actually, it was red. Red. Of course, Red. Um, what is the tradition behind the hot crust bun? Another top question which is searched up. We surely know the answer to this question. The tradition behind the hot crust bun. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, the cross on it, of course, to remind us of Jesus' death. And finally, another top question. What is the official flower of Easter? The official flower of Easter is the daffodil. It's actually the white lily. Yeah, symbolizing purity, rebirth, new beginnings, and hope. Well, I wonder what questions you find yourself asking at this juncture in your life this Easter weekend. As we look at the global scene, as we try and pay attention to the news, at least certainly here in the West, lots of questions I see about what the nature of uh, Ukraine's spring offensive might be where they might strike and whether or not they'll be successful. And with that question, uh, will there be an end to the war in the Ukraine? Big global questions that we're asking. But as I have worked just my regular pastoral ministry over just this past week, here are some of the questions I found people in Oxford asking this Easter. Sat in the church center there with a lovely man who's not here today, new to the city, homeless, wondering where he's going to find a place to lay his head at night. He made himself homeless a couple of years ago with, with some a realistic hope that he'd be able to find a place to stay, but that fell through. And now because he's made himself homeless, uh, unless he lies about his answer to that question, the council won't be able to help him. And here's his question spoke with another person this past week, wondering whether the job that they've applied for will be successful. And if, if they are successful with their interview, where might that lead their path? Another who's got a significant obstacle across the pathway of their life that they themselves can't remove, and they're wondering, will this obstacle be taken away? Or if it isn't, will that result in a drastic change of path for their life. And finally, another just asking, no great obstacle in the path, but just wondering, do I have the strength to keep going down the path that I clearly see ahead of me? If it's anything like the path behind, do I simply have the strength to keep going? Well, I wonder what questions you're asking yourself at this juncture in your life this Easter weekend. But one of the things this Easter, this true Easter story does for us is it sets all those questions, whether it's the big global questions that we find our, our, our countries and our societies asking in the West at this, at this time, or whether it's those personal questions that we find ourselves asking about our individual path or the path of our family, our life. 
What the Easter story does, this truest story of Jesus died and risen again, is it puts all those questions under two great big questions and the answers to those. Did you pick up the questions that came in our passage today? There were two of them. One wasn't stated, uh, we weren't given the exact words of the question, but we're told that the question took place. And then the second question, we're given the exact words for it. And we'll, we'll take each in turn. The first has to do with Jesus and his death. The second has to do with Jesus and his life. So the first question asked by Pilate, has Jesus really died? Has Jesus really died? Verse 42, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was Saturday at that time. And so the preparation day for the Sabbath was that first Good Friday. And so as the evening of that Good Friday approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body. So what council was Joseph a part of? Well, he was a part of that council that we read of uh, back in chapter 14, the religious council that tried Jesus. But we're told in other Gospels that Joseph of Arimathea didn't approve of that council's decision to condemn Jesus. We're told that he was a man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. And that implies that as he encountered Jesus Christ, he had a sense that this was the promised Messiah. Mark's Gospel opens with Jesus proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And we get the idea that Joseph was one of those Jewish people at Jesus' time who began to believe that Jesus may be who he said he was. And so he's emboldened to use his position among this prestigious religious council, which Pilate had to respect, to go boldly to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. We're told in John's Gospel, by this point, before uh, Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate, some Jewish leaders surrounding the cross wanted the bodies that were on the cross, Jesus and the two with whom he was crucified, to be taken down because the next day was a special Passover Sabbath. And so John's Gospel tells us that they had sent to Pilate and had actually requested that the bodies be taken down for the cross. So by this point, when Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate, he's already sent uh, some people to break the legs of those on the cross so that they would die on the Friday and could be taken down before the Sabbath. And John's Gospel goes on and says that the, the men on either side of Jesus, their legs were broken, but when they came to Jesus... He was already dead, clearly, and so they pierced his side with a spear, and blood and water flowed out. But by the time Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body, he's likely just sent those people to, to break the legs of, of the people on the crosses. 
So when Joseph of Arimathea comes and says, he's already dead, give me the body of Jesus, Pilate is surprised. He thinks, as usual, people would endure many days, a man would, die, would, would live for many days on a cross, two or three days before dying. And so, when Joseph of Arimathea comes to say, no, he's already dead, give me his body, well, Pilate had just sent the people to go finish the job, so he was surprised. Then he asks this question that I've mentioned. When he learned from the centurion, uh, Pilate was surprised to hear that he, had, he was already dead. And so summoning, summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. Has Jesus really died? One of the most profound and deepest questions you or I can actually ever ask first came on the lips of Pilate. Has Jesus really died? He summons the centurion and asks him if, he, if it was so, and the centurion told him that it was, maybe now having returned from seeing his side pierced. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Has Jesus really died? We've been told earlier in Mark's gospel that Peter was there as Jesus was tried. And three times Peter was asked if he was a disciple of Jesus, and three times Peter had denied Jesus. And imagine what must have been going through Peter's mind as he began to hear rumor, having not been at the cross himself, that Jesus had died. And maybe in Peter's mind, he remembered that storm that he was in the boat with Jesus on when Jesus was asleep in the stern, and a storm came up, and they woke Jesus, and Jesus said to the storm, peace be still, and the waves went down, and it was completely calm. I remember maybe Peter was thinking about that. Or maybe when they landed and this man who'd been possessed by a legion of demons and was tormented among the rocks, he had such a reputation for living a tormented life. And Peter was there when Jesus cast the legion of demons out of him in Mark chapter, chapter 5. Or later in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus raised up from the dead Jairus' daughter. And when he healed a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for over a decade... And she merely touched Jesus' cloak, and she was healed. Maybe Peter was thinking about that. Or when he fed the 5,000. Or when he walked out on the water in Mark chapter 6. Or when he fed the 4,000. Or when he healed the blind man. And when he said, Peter said to Jesus in response to the question, who do people say that I am? And he responded by saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah, in chapter 8. Or maybe Peter was thinking about the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9 of Mark, where he and James and John went up the mountain, all the other disciples left down below, and there Jesus appearance was transfigured before their very eyes so that he, he, his clothes appeared whiter than any uh, human being could bleach them. 
And there Moses and Elijah appeared with uh, Jesus. And a voice from heaven was heard. This is my son. Listen to him. Peter had experienced all of this. And so, of course, when he hears rumor that Jesus has died, he asks himself, has Jesus really died? How could it be that this man could do all these great things that I've experienced? And then I deny him? And then he dies? How could it be that the story would end this way? Has Jesus really died? Pilate, we know, asked the question. Peter must have been asking the question at a whole other level. And then we think of this man, Joseph of Arimathea, as he's entrusted with Jesus' body. And as he goes and buys some linen and wraps Jesus' body with it and takes him to a nearby tomb uh, that, that he had as his own and had access to and placed Jesus' body inside it. And as he rolls that stone, big stone that was on a, a kind of a, a track and it was wedged in place and so you would, you would pull out the wedge and then gravity would help you roll this giant stone into the track over the entrance of the tomb. Very easy to put in place as one man. Very hard to remove. And here this man is who's waiting for the kingdom of God, who, who thought that this must have been the Messiah that, he, that all were waiting for, and yet there is his limp body in Joseph of Arimathea's arms, feeling that dead weight, lying him in that tomb after wrapping him, rolling that gigantic stone. He must have asked the question, has Jesus really died? And he surely knew the answer to it. And the answer was yes. Yes. He's dead behind this stone. I know. And one of the reasons why Mark peppers his account with these various names, the names of Joseph of Arimathea, the names of the women that are mentioned, they're not just there accidentally. Some New Testament scholars argue that one of the reasons these names are peppered in the text is because as the document came to be spread around through various parts of that part of the world, people could then follow up and ask and go speak to Mary Magdalene. Go speak to Joseph of Arimathea or those who knew him. Go speak to Salome. Go speak to Mary the mother of James and Joseph. And they would say, yes, we were there. We saw him die on that cross. We saw him buried in that tomb. Has Jesus really died? The answer is yes. And of course, there are some uh, in our world today who, who don't actually believe that Jesus could be who he said he was and do the great things that he did, and at the same time suffer this horrific death on a cross. Received emails just today from a Muslim, a wonderful Muslim friend of mine, and we have such a mutual respect and love. Um, but he, of course, wouldn't believe. He'd believe that Jesus is a great prophet, 
but wouldn't believe that he then died on a cross the way that uh, these biographies of Jesus say he was. But of course, Jesus knew that he would have to die this way, and he told us why. Just earlier in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says why. In verse 33 of chapter 10, he had said, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the, God, to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise. And then verse 45 gives the reason why. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Has Jesus really died? Yes. Why? Because you and I need a ransom. Uh, when Julie and I were, were first married, we received some counsel about how to handle our various bank accounts. And I won't tell you which account had more money in it, Julie's or mine. But uh, we were counseled that one of the wisest things you can do as an early married couple is to combine your accounts uh, and, and to take whatever uh, pluses or minuses might, ex might exist in your individual financial situations and combine them. Um, and I certainly know that I got the better of the deal overall in any case, no matter what, what the finances were. And it's like that with the Lord Jesus. We have a debt with God, and he came as a ransom. So in going to the cross as one who'd been perfectly obedient to God, his life was one of perfect obedience. It was one of great credit with God. And we come with our debts of sin and of guilt. And when we trust in Jesus Christ and his death, our accounts are, so to speak, combined. And his great credit cancels out our great debt such that we live in the wealth, the spiritual wealth of Jesus Christ and his righteousness before God. It gets credited to us such that God sees us as obedient as Christ himself uh, is and was. He came as a ransom. So has Jesus really died? I wonder if you've answered this question for yourself and whether you've seen how significant it is that the answer to that question is yes. Yes for you and yes for me. Yes as a ransom freely given up by him for each one of us here. A ransom given up for the world such that we can say loud and clear if anyone, any one of us, would simply trust in Jesus Christ and uh, accept his death uh, on our behalf, well then, that credit is applied to us. And we can have a renewed relationship with God. That does have an implication and a challenge for us. If he's paid the ransom for us, it also means that he's willing to pay the ransom of those who have hurt us. And if we're going to experience the forgiveness of God vertically, there's a challenge here, a call for us to extend that forgiveness horizontally to those who've wounded us. 
And it's important to see that there's a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. That forgiveness part, though, is a non-negotiable before God. We prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's account, he picks up on that one line about forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer and says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, if we're going to receive the grace of God, then this Easter, it also is called, it's, 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 it's trying to, it doesn't stay there. It moves through us into our, our marriages, into our parenting, into our life with friends and family as, as single people, uh, through the culture of our church, such that forgiveness is meant to flow through. And maybe the response that you're being called to this Easter, has Jesus really died? The answer is yes for me. And yes, for that one to whom I've, I've battled with resentment toward them. Yes, for them too. And maybe I need to release them to God and forgive them and then seek to see what a relationship, a healthy relationship might look for them, which might involve boundary or extra care. But it does surely involve forgiveness and not holding judgment over them as Jesus really died. And then this question that comes to us from that first Easter Sunday. Go back with me to Mark chapter 16. And we pick it up at the beginning of verse 1. So the Sabbath, uh, when the Sabbath was over, that would have been about 6 p.m. on the Saturday. Uh, that's when the Sabbath would have ended. And when it ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. They knew that they would do that the next morning because by the end of the Sabbath on the Saturday, it was, of course, dark. And so they wouldn't go do it then. And so then, verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And here we get this second question, this second Easter question. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, even as Jesus' body was initially buried, some of those who had opposed Jesus during his life had remembered that Jesus had said he would rise. And so they had created something of a, of a safeguard against this, and they were told in Matthew 27, had Pilate go post a guard at the tomb. And then later, as the disciples started speaking about a risen Jesus, they spread this story that it was actually the disciples who rolled away the stone and took the limp body of Jesus away. And that conspiracy uh, 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 spread throughout the, that part of the world at that time. But what's interesting is that if it were true that the disciples kind of pretended that Jesus raised back from the dead, is that, and, and they kind of doctored the story, is that they would never have doctored the story like this, with three women coming to discover the empty tomb. Sadly, at that time, a woman's testimony was not highly regarded in the, in the courts. And Mary Magdalene was not just any woman. She was a woman who had lived a very tormented 
life. We're told elsewhere in the Gospels that from her had been cast several demons. And so if you were going to doctor the story, you wouldn't doctor it like this with Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bringing spices so that they might anoint the body of Jesus. And as they're approaching, they find themselves asking this question, who will move the stone? They knew the stone was heavy. They knew the stone was easy to roll into place. But then once it was jammed in, it was very hard indeed to roll it back. And yet as they approach, they looked up and saw that stone, which was very large, saw that it had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they had laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you'll see him just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were so afraid. It rings with, with truth and reality. Far from doctored, the, 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 the account just kind of stumbles out into our lives. There's so much so that other people came along afterwards and thought, wow, does it really end this way? And it seems that later people added extra verses because Mark's gospel had ended so abruptly. Uh, But those other verses, we believe, aren't part of the original manuscripts, even though they're included in our Bibles for information. But actually, the text is is meant to end like that, with the women bewildered and not knowing quite what to say. Because that ending invites you and me into the story and into their question, who will roll away the stone? And the answer, the the conclusion that they came to, was that God will roll away the stone. God has rolled away the stone by raising up Jesus from the grave. And today, even you and I, we face that same stone of death. We, We face it ourselves. And we ask, who will roll away that stone? Who will save us and see us? through our human death. We ask, who will roll away the stone of our own guilt and our own shame and our own battle with sin? Who will roll away the stone, uh, the stone of our own despair and our own hopelessness, our own wondering whether our lives can ever change or be different than they've been in the past, Who will roll away the stone? And the message this Easter, from the message of that first Easter, is that God, through Jesus Christ, is willing and will roll away these stones. He'll, should we trust in him, roll away the stone of our own mortality and death. He rolls away the stone of our own guilt and shame. And he rolls away the stone of our own powerlessness and hopelessness. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us that when we trust in Jesus Christ, the very God who raised him up from the dead 
gives us the, his power, the power of the risen Jesus, to live in us so that we can live a life of obedience and hope and growth, even though we might feel that in our walk with God, it's a few steps forward and many steps back, we can know that God rolls away the stone of our stuckness and that through Christ, we can be victorious over sin, be victorious over addiction, be victorious over our desires to turn away from God and instead find renewed strength every day to turn toward him and to walk out a life of costly obedience to Jesus until that time we meet him. So two questions. Has Jesus really died? Yes. As a ransom for you and a ransom for those who we're in relationship with who are called to trust in Christ themselves and to know forgiveness from us. And who will move the stone? Well, God has moved the stone. When Jesus first walked out of that tomb, that first Easter Sunday, appeared to over 500 over the next six weeks, and then ascended into heaven so that he's right now seated at the right hand of God and is going to come again one day such that all will see him. God has rolled away the stone. And so he can roll away the stone of the fear of death for us, the stone of guilt over sins that have been committed by us, the stone of stuckness and despair. So I want to invite you this Easter to believe that God has rolled away the stone, that Christ has indeed risen, and that he's living and active among us even today such that we can grow in our walk with him, our obedience to him, and our love for God and others. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's pray as the musicians come up and we prepare to sing our final song. Some words from the Apostle Paul as he prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the, in the heavenly realms. Risen Christ, you died for us. You rose again victorious over sin, death, and the devil. We worship and praise you, and we await your second coming. Come, Lord Jesus, again. In the meantime, Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and that resurrection power which lives in the church that trusts in Christ and lives in each one of us who follow him. Please display your resurrection power in our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.